Welcome to C4 Church Online, equipping you as you follow Jesus. Well, good morning, everyone. So glad that you're here. Good morning to all of you watching on live up in Port Perry this evening in Bowmanville, anywhere around the world. We're so glad that you are joining us post-ice insanity. We're glad to be together. It was a few years ago, I was in the Swagger Wagon, i.e. minivan, and we were traveling along, and the best invention ever given to parents in this generation is a television built into a minivan. Anyone want to say amen to that? Yes? Mm, mm, yes. And so we were driving along, and Veggie Tales was on, and I don't know, Larry and Bob, and uh, anyway, they were singing, and I realized they were telling the story of St. Patrick, not the thing that happens today where people get drunk out of their minds. No, the real story of the man who gave his life to Jesus, being a former slave, re-evangelized Ireland and set up Europe to actually meet Jesus once again. And in the middle of this, either a tomato or a cucumber, I don't know who, started telling this other person, God is a trinity, he is one in three, he's like, he's like a three-leaf clover, there's a stem and there's three leaves, and they sang a little song, da, 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 and we listened to this, and that was great. Well, later, my kids came and they're like, Dad, how can God be one in three? How can Jesus be God's son and yet you keep saying he's God? I'm confused, which began quite the interesting conversation. Even two weeks ago, uh, I was putting my son to bed, Noah, he's six years old, and we were praying, and as we were praying in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, he stopped me at six and said, Dad, I, I, I understand. I was like, oh, epic, awesome, tell me more. And he said, yeah, so God used to be the Father, and then he was the Son, and now he's the Holy Spirit. I said, no, son, that's called heresy. No, <laughs> no. And that began a conversation, and you could see him trying to understand. The skeptic comes along and says, the Trinity doesn't make mathematical sense. The Muslim says, God cannot have a son. The Jew says, the Christian endeavor is a perversion of our faith. The child tries to comprehend and does not. The adult seeker is intrigued. And many, many, many of you who followed Jesus for years go, I believe it. I don't get it. John, you deal with it. Tell me something that really matters to my Christian life. Oh. See, if we are a movement based in relationship, then actually the one we know has revealed himself. And if he's revealed himself, then actually we need to know him better. Right relationship is connected to right knowledge. Right knowledge leads to right relationship. So this matters because God is at the epicenter of everything that we believe and do. Now, if the Bible is the ultimate authority for understanding God, what does the Bible say about God? And as we're about to see today in the next two weeks, God is one God, only one God, yet mysteriously he is triune. Now, let me say a very, very scandalous thing. If you call yourself a Christian today and you reject the Trinity, you are not a Christian. Let me say that again. If you claim to be a follower of Jesus and you reject the Trinity formally, you're not a follower of Jesus, no matter your experiences. Others of us believe, but we don't understand the God we worship, give to, love, and hope in. It was Karl Barth, the great Swiss theologian, who said the doctrine of the Trinity is what basically distinguishes the Christian doctrine of God as Christian. It's what makes us Burger King and not Swiss Chalet. We're not this, we're that. This isn't just how we intellectually think about God. This is actually how we know him personally and also how we begin to understand wrong versions of God. The Trinity, hear this this morning, hear this this afternoon, this evening. The Trinity is the red line between falseness and truth. 
One person has said, within God's own mysterious being, God is Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The designations are just the ways in which God is God. And within the Godhead, there are three persons who are neither three gods, nor three parts of God, notice the language, but co-equally and co-eternally God. But is that right? Is that biblical? I mean, the word Trinity isn't even found in the Bible. Well, let's start together. Genesis 1-1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Before anything was, before matter, time, space, before everything and anything we know as reality was, there was only one being present, God. Not God's God, singular. God is one. The whole Jewish faith is summarized this way in the Shema, Deuteronomy 6.4. Oh, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. What distinguished the Jews from every other group around them? They were the only ones who believed God was one. Later at the giving of the Ten Commandments, it comes even closer home. Exodus 21, and God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Oh, you shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above, on the earth beneath, or the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them. Now, this is incredible. If you, you read Hebrew, I don't. But I found out the word Lord here, the name is Yahweh. It is the name that is used only in covenant. As one scholar said, Yahweh is God's covenantal name, and Scripture compares his covenant to a person's commitment and marriage, a free, deliberate undertaking to love, protect, and provide for the one now he calls his wife, to whom he now presents himself as husband. You're saying, well, why does that matter? Here it is. Since there is one God and one God alone, and he is creator, father, Lord, accessible, and relational, And because now he has chosen to marry, that is, be in relationship with people, then God says, have no other gods before me. Don't invent gods. Don't make gods. Do not access other spiritual powers because they might feel like God to you. They might have power like God, but they are created. I am uncreated. One God, one God alone. Worship him. Worship him alone. So there's one God. And yet as we begin to read the Bible cover to cover, suddenly things get interesting complicated, mysterious, and a little confusing. Jesus' best friend, John, writes this. Oh, in the beginning, in the beginning was the Word. Oh, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Hold on, we just read Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Out of nothing, God created everything, ex nihilo. But now, John says, at the beginning, God wasn't just there, but this Word was with him, and yet the Word was him. Well, who's the word? We'll read John chapter 1. It's Jesus. So this is wild. This is saying that the word was with God. Better said in Greek, the word Jesus was turned towards God. Relationship, diamondism, intimacy. But not only is the word Jesus towards God, then John goes a step further and says the word was God. In Greek, it reads the reverse. God was the word. Jesus Christ, the one we sang to. Jesus Christ, the one announced by angels, the star pointed to, the shepherds came and found, the one wrapped in swaddling clothes, the one who did the Sermon on the Mount, the one who cast out demons. This is claiming that he, a 32-year-old Jewish man, is God in flesh. One wrote, this is an absolute affirmation about the eternal existence of Jesus. The word did not come into being, nor was there ever a time where Jesus was not. Whatever you must say about God, now you must say about Jesus. 
So before the manger, Jesus was with God and yet was God. And John goes farther, verse 2, Jesus was with God in the beginning. Now, this, is, this really matters. One wrote, it is important to recognize that in John chapter 1, verse 1 and 2, Jesus the Word is said to be distinct from the Father and yet equal with the Father. He's with God. The, the Greek literally implies two people sitting in a room, and at the same time, he claims and is claiming he is God. Hence, the Father and the Word are not the same, but they belong together. The fact that one might be said to be with the other clearly differentiates them, yet though they are distinct, there is no disharmony. And John's expression points us to the perfect unity in which they are joined. So there is one God, and yet there's two, and yet one all at once. Anyone confused yet? Listen to what Jesus claimed about himself while he was on earth. John 8, 58, very, very truly, I tell you, before Abraham was born, I am. Ooh. At this, they picked up stones to stone him, but he hid himself. Now, watch this. Jesus says, before the patriarch of the Jewish faith existed, I was around. That's crazy land number one. It gets more interesting. Then Jesus says, and oh, by the way, I am. If you know your Old Testament, all sorts of flares should be going off in your head. Why? When Moses encountered God in the burning bush and Moses was commanded by God to go free the Israelites, Moses said to God, who should I say is sending me? And God responded, I am what? That I am. And Jesus comes along as an Orthodox Jew and says, oh, by the way, I used to exist before I existed and I am. Oh my goodness. John 10, 31, the Jews picked up stones to stone Jesus, and Jesus said to them, I've shown you many great miracles from the Father. For which of these are you stoning me? Oh, we're not stoning you for any of these, but for blasphemy, because you, a mere man, claim to be God. See, they got it. Jesus claimed to be equal with the Father, could forgive sins, existed before he was born, more important than Abraham, claimed to be the only way back to God. Oh, and I can give eternal life. Any Orthodox Jew 2,000 years ago, any Orthodox Jew at synagogue yesterday in Toronto, if you said to them, I am equal with Yahweh, I can forgive sins, and I'm eternal, they would say you are committing blasphemy because only God can do those actions. Paul, one of the greatest Jewish thinkers of his generation, who became a follower of Yeshua, Jesus, said these words about Jesus in Colossians 1.15. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. From all eternity, Jesus has, will, and always will be. The very nature will always be the image of God. Only in Jesus do you understand who God really is. Now you ask the question, how can the invisible have an image? One wrote this, in Greek philosophy, an image has a share in the reality that it reveals, and the image is that reality. Unlike what we think about today, an image is not distinct from the invisible. Jesus is not a facsimile or a reproduction. The invisible has become visible, and so Jesus is the image of God. He's the exact visible representation of God's illuminating essence. In Jesus, we fully see who God is, creator, redeemer, mercy, love, holy, sovereign. Do you remember how we ended the Easter conversation a few weeks ago? We ended it with uh, Jesus' encounter with Thomas. John 20, 26. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. And though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood by them and said, or among them, and said, a peace be with you. Then, then he said to Thomas, oh, Thomas, you put your fingers here. 
You see my hands. You reach out your hands. You put them in my side. You stop doubting and believe. And how does Thomas respond? You are my Lord and my, let's say together, what? God. What a huge leap of faith. Let me remind all of us today in 2018, Thomas is an Orthodox, Orthodox Jewish man. The room is filled with 10 other men who are Jewish. And Thomas falls to his knees and claims that Jesus is Elohim, is Yahweh, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel. This is wrong, this is blasphemous, unless it is true. See, Thomas confesses what John starts his gospel with, that Jesus is equal with the Father. Now, Jesus was very concerned about right thinking, because right thinking leads to right belief and right action. If he needed to say, oh, no, 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 you got it wrong, Thomas. I I know I'm super special and I raised from the dead, but I'm only like a created creature like you, just elevated. Or I'm the son of God, but not in the way I'm united with the Father. Or I'm another God, he could have done it. What does he do in that case? He accepts Thomas's worship. What? So there's one God and one creator and only one God alone and yet there's the Father and the Son and they are distinct and yet they're the same and they're together but different. And then you're like, well, John, where's the Holy Spirit? I mean, is he, is he just the breath of God? Is he the force or energy of God? Is this like a Star Wars moment? You know, I am your, you know, what's going on? I, 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 I'm not sure what's happening. Well, no, the Holy Spirit, yes, is the breath of God, but he is actually God too. You're like, really? Yep. The story of the Holy Spirit begins for us at the beginning too. It's in the second verse of the Bible. Now the earth was formless and empty and darkness was over the face or the surface of the deep and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. Now watch this. In Genesis 1-1 it says that God was there and created and now the Spirit of God is present and the languages are the same but different. In other words, God, whoever he is, used the Spirit of God, whoever he is, to create something called creation. From that moment forward, the Holy Spirit is found in every single significant move of God in history. Remember, Moses leads the people out. What went in front of the people of God? Exodus 13, 21. By day, God went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way, and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so they could travel by day or night. Okay, this is the Holy Spirit, the Shekinah glory of God, the dwelling presence of God, the Holy Spirit. This same fire and cloud and lightning was experienced at the giving of the Ten Commandments, the dedication of the tabernacle and temple. It's the same holy fire that came down and consumed the altar on Mount Carmel when Elijah faced down the Baal prophets. It's seen at the call of Isaiah and Ezekiel. It's the same glory that shone around the shepherds when Jesus was announced. It's the same fire that lit, lit on above the heads of every person on Pentecost when the church was born. It's the same fire at the burning bush. Where do we find the Holy Spirit? At Jesus' life right at the beginning, Luke 135. The Holy Spirit will be upon you, Mary. The power of the Most High will overshadow you. And you, so the Holy One to be born, will be called the Son of God. Just as the Holy Spirit, watch the connection, hovered like a bird over creation when it was nothing. Now the Holy Spirit is hovering over Jesus. And this moment is going to change the world. So you've got distinct yet the same. Jesus started his ministry 30 years later like this. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as Jesus was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus in bodily form like a dove. It's not an apparition. He's really there. And a voice came from heaven saying, you are my son whom I love. With you I am well pleased. So the Holy Spirit descends on Jesus like a dove, just like the Holy Spirit hovered over creation and hovered over, now he's hovering over Jesus because a new thing's going to happen. Now why is the Holy Spirit sent? 
One of the chief reasons is to affirm what heaven is saying. You are my son whom I love. With you I'm well pleased. The spirit is given to affirm Jesus' identity so Jesus' life, teaching, death, resurrection, and ascension are valid. But here's what we need to catch today. Everyone ready? Here we see God in his fullness. You have the Father's voice, and at the very same time you have the Father's voice, you have Jesus really there in flesh. And while he's there, you really have the Holy Spirit. And in Greek, it actually says the Spirit like was a dove, present. So you have three, yet one, yet separate, yet together doing something. And you're like, well, John, that still doesn't prove the Holy Spirit is, is God. Maybe he's just like, you know, the bond of love. I, I don't know. Well, listen to how Jesus talked about the Spirit. Jesus came to his closest friends one day and says, guys, I'm out. They're like, excuse me? We gave up our life to follow you. He's like, yeah, I've got other things to do. I've got to go back to heaven. They're like, you cannot leave. He's like, yeah, I have to go. I'm going to die and then leave. No, you can't do this. He said, oh, don't worry. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. I'm not abandoning you. And listen to these profound words in John 14, 16. And I, Jesus, am going to ask the Father, and he'll give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever. He's the spirit of truth. Now, I've taught this before about five times. Let me do it again. If you're taking notes for Connect Group, you need to write this down. The word another in Greek has two meanings. It can mean one of the same kind or one of the different kind. Jesus says this in this passage, I am going to send you the same kind as me. Hold on a second. Jesus says, I'm going to send you someone who's not me, but is like me. Not just like me because he does the same job description. He's like me. Here's the point. You cannot be the same as God and not be God For there's only one God who has that essence in DNA. And so if you are part of God, you are God because you have that DNA. Even Peter in the book of Acts, right? When Ananias and Sapphira are confronted and Peter says, you've lied to the Holy Spirit. And at another point he says, you've lied to God, like it's there. Now, if you were with us for Easter, you never heard us say something. Maybe you've caught yourself saying it. Maybe you haven't. You have never heard us say in this church, Jesus rose himself from the dead. You ever thought about that? Here's what we taught. The Father and the Spirit rose Jesus from the dead. Romans 8, 11, And if the Spirit of God, who raised Jesus from the dead, is living in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because, the Spirit, because of his Spirit who lives in you. Here's what I want to catch as we begin this conversation. You're like, this is the beginning of the conversation? Yeah, it is. Okay. At creation... At Jesus' baptism and at Jesus' resurrection, you have three distinct persons working for one thing. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Equal but different. What do we do with this? Listen to one prayer by Paul in Ephesians 3.14. For this reason I kneel before the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth derives its name. And I pray it of his glorious riches. He may strengthen you with power through his spirit in your inner being so Jesus may dwell in your hearts through faith. 
I've said this before, let me say it again. You cannot know God. You cannot talk to God. You've never walked with Jesus. Every experience you've had, if you're a Christian, with God, the Father, or Jesus has always been done through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the only source, door, and access to Jesus. Jesus is the only access, door, and source to the Father. The Holy Spirit's not an it. He's not a force. He's not a ghost. He's God. He's a person in the Godhead, and he's to be worshiped, and he's your everything if you're a Christian, by the way. Remember what we did in 1 Corinthians? We were going through 1 Corinthians together and we came to that gift section. We are really serious about spiritual gifts in this church. But let me look at it from a different angle. Remember 1 Corinthians 12, 14? Oh, there are different kinds of gifts, but the same Holy Spirit. He distributes them. Oh, there are different kinds of service, but the same Lord. There are different kinds of working, but in all of them and in everyone, it's the same God at work. Watch this. Gifts, service, working. All means spiritual gifts. And notice God in his fullness. The Spirit, the Lord who is Jesus, and God the Father. You cannot read this like, well, the Father is God and the other two are sort of these semi-created beings. And No, no. The way it reads is this. They all have equal authority to do this one thing together. You can't be on the same plane as God and not be God. The works of God are great grounded within the Trinitarian relationship. The most explicit verse about the Trinity is 2 Corinthians 13, 14. May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. You can't read this like, well, the Father's God and the other two aren't. No, no, again, right in the language, they are equal, doing one thing together to bless the church. And what's so amazing, which so many of us, even who've run up a church, have missed, is when we begin to see God as community yet one in the eternal dance, and we see our unity through that, it even gets sweeter. That's why these most revolutionary words need to be recaptured through the lens of God who is Trinity. Ephesians 2.18, through Jesus, we non-Jews and Jews have access to the Father by one spirit. There is nothing more powerful than that verse. Religion can't produce that. Politics can't produce. Listen, that overcomes every barrier on earth between human beings. The Father calls you. The Son saves you. The Spirit introduces you, and we have unity in Him. Amen? Amazing. Last week, we bapt or two weeks ago, we baptized 40 people in this church. By the way, we should clap about that. That's amazing. Amazing. And if you were with us at any of our sites, do you remember what was stated, what was said, what they were baptized into? The very last words of Jesus, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Now everyone lean in, please. Notice the words, they matter. It's not go and baptize them into God, Father, Son, and Spirit. It's not go and baptize them into the names it's not go baptize them in the name of the Father, the name of the Son, the name of the Holy Spirit. No, no, it's go and baptize them into the name singular, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, plural. Here's what we got to get to. The Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit are distinctly different and yet they are united in some profound way in one name. Even at the end of time, when the new heavens and the new earth come down, this beautiful sort of uh, picture we get out of John, this is found. Let me read it to you, Revelation 22.1. Then the angel showed me the river of the water of life as, as clear as crystal flowing from the throne of God and of the Lamb and down the middle of the great street of the city and on each side of the river stood the tree of life 
bearing 12 crops of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Now, can I just stop? I know some of you are already bored. You're looking at Facebook. I'm begging you, stop. Please hear this. No longer will there be any curse. The throne of God and the lamb will be in the city and the servants will serve him. They will see his face, cannot wait for that. And his name will be on their foreheads. Want that tattoo on my head. Okay, now listen. This is so important. Talk to any Jew on earth today and you ask them, where's God's throne? Where will they tell you it is? Heaven. You ask them how many, there, how many thrones where they'll be and they will say there is one. What is so striking in Revelation 22 is the Lamb of God, who is Jesus, and the Father share the throne. You can't share the throne if you're not God. It's not real estate that's shared or sold. It's only God's. And here's what's absolutely amazing. Ready? What's flowing from the one throne? What's flowing? Someone yell it out. What? What? River. Hey, Pentecostals, help me out. Come on. Okay. Right. The river. And the river of life that brings healing to the nations. Everyone watch this. Now, who wrote the book of Revelation? John did. John was Jesus' best friend, remember? And this is what John recorded Jesus saying in John 7, 38 and 39. Whoever believes in Jesus, in me, as the scripture said, rivers of living water will flow from within them. And by this he meant what? The Spirit. Heaven itself is the full revelation of God where the Father and the Son and the Spirit are present, restoring all of creation, marking their name on our foreheads and restoring us back to life profound when you see it through the Trinity. Now, never forget, Jesus himself is a Jew. The original followers of Jesus are Jews. Most of the authors of Scripture are Jew or Jew converts, and they are Orthodox. So to preach and write what I have just said to you today out of their writings, and then to die for these things, is crazy unless it's true. By reading the Bible, you must conclude that all Christians are monotheists, but were monotheists mutated. As one said, the Trinity consciousness is like fingerprints across the pages of Scripture. God is one God, but he's revealed as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And that truth makes Christian understanding of God distinct and Christian. Now, all of you are going, oh, fine, John, blah, blah, blah. But what practical value? I mean, honestly, let the theologians read those big books. I, I got to deal with kids, coffee, and like what? Well, here's why it matters. God has revealed this to us. And as we're going to see today, as we end and over the next two weeks, there is a much deeper well of encounter and holy love that many of us are not swimming in yet. The problem is most of us approach this conversation like a mathematical problem. So we end up using analogies like this. Maybe you'll find yourself in this picture. Well, God is like water, liquid, steam, and ice. God's like a tree. There's a root and there's branches and there's a trunk. It's like a candle. There's wax and a flame and there's an egg. There's white. It's an apple. Stop. <laughs> Though they're helpful, sort of. Here's the problem with this. They lead you to something called heresy for real. I understand. Like, I remember. Like he, he's an apple. Yes, but no. Why? Because some of you here today actually believe falseness and you don't even know it. See, some of you are tritheists. Oh, you believe that the Father's different from the Son and the Son's different from the Holy Spirit and there are three people, but they're not united. Well, you believe in three gods. That's not Christianity. That's false. The real insidious thing sitting in this room and all the sites today, and some of you, are, you're, you're, this is gonna be like the oh no moment, is actually your modalists. God is one God and he's found in three masks and three modes. 
He was the Father in the Old Testament, then he became Jesus, and then he became the Holy Spirit. No, that is heresy. That is false teaching. Jesus has always existed. The Father has always existed. The Holy Spirit has always, always existed. And yet one, when you pair Genesis 1 and John 1 together, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit are present at creation, different yet the same. At Jesus' baptism, different yet the same. See, here's what we've got to work out and understand. God is one God, but he's a community within himself. That's why the Nicene Creed is so helpful. We believe in one God. The Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, things visible invisible. In one Lord Jesus Christ, the only Son of God, begotten from the Father, before all ages, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, begotten, not made, of the same essence with the Father. Through Him all things were made. Oh, we believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord, the giver of life. He proceeds from the Father and the Son, and with the Father and Son is worshiped and glorified. C.S. Lewis, trying to work this out, really was helpful with an analogy that is stronger than the ones I just shared. He said these words, he said, you know in space, you can only move three ways. Left, right, backward, forward, up, down. Every direction is either one of those three or a compromise between them. They're called the three dimensions. Now notice this, if you're gonna use one dimension, you can draw a straight line. If you're using two, you can draw a figure like a square. And the square is made up of four straight lines. Now, a step further, if you have uh, three dimensions, you can now build what they call a solid, like a cube. And a cube is made up of six squares. He says, do you see the point? I'm like, no, C.S. Lewis, help me see the point. He says, a world of one dimension is a world of straight lines. I'm like, yeah, I got that. In a world of two dimensions, you still get straight lines, but the lines create one figure. I'm like, yeah, I got that. In a three-dimensional world, you still get figures, but the figures make up a solid body. And then this is what he said, and it's so brilliant. In other words, as you advance to more real and more complicated levels, you don't leave behind the things you found back at the simpler levels. Oh, you still got them, but combined in new ways, in ways you couldn't even imagine that you only knew at the simpler levels, you see the whole picture finally. God is one, yet he is in holy community as three. You again say, John, who cares? Why does this matter? How does this affect me at my connect group, at my work? How, how do, okay, well, here's the great gift that none of us were asking for this morning. It leads us to a door that we as Westerners or we as educated people of the world don't like. Mystery. God being one God, yet a holy community with himself is a mystery. One famous Christian once said, a God understood and a God comprehended is no God at all. Another said, our modern scientific mindset has little time or patience with mystery. We pride ourselves in being able to penetrate the unknown and offer solutions to life's most perplexing problems. No doubt as a result of modern science, it's great. We've taken great strides forward in uncovering knowledge about our world and overcoming very dangerous superstition. Yes, but, everyone lean in, science has also fostered the false assumption that given enough study and research, we can figure everything out. No, we can't. We need mystery in our life. Now, mystery doesn't mean what you're thinking. It means probably. Because in English, mystery means obscure and dark and secret and puzzling, inexplicable, incomprehensible. In Greek, mystery means an open secret that's being revealed. And that's it. 
We didn't invent God. We didn't find God. He found us. And we didn't, we, we're not defining who he is. He's showing us who he is. That's why the book of Hebrews says that we now, God has spoken to us through his son. Why does this matter? Because we as Christians believe that God loves us. He wants to be in relationship with us. And he has given us a definite knowledge about who he is. He is not completely vague. So we confidently must proclaim that there is only one God and all other gods are false. And yet that one God is father at the same time that he's son and spirit, three in one, one in three. And at that moment, the great gifts that come forward from this moment of us encountering mystery is this, humility, finiteness, and us being limited. You're like, John, those are not the gifts I like. I know. But they make us brilliantly human. My son this morning asked me, why do we worship God? He's asking very serious questions at six. I said, we worship him because he's God and we're not. I said, it's like clay and a potter. He sort of got that. But what he was wrestling with at six years old is, should I have the right to say no to worshiping a being that is not me? You will never embrace your humanness unless you realize how limited you are. A.W. Tozer, the great preacher from Toronto who was preached all around the world, many of us read his book, said this, to admit there is one who lies beyond us, who exists outside of all our categories, who will not be dismissed with a name, who will not appear before the bar of our reason, nor submit to our curious inquiries, this requires a great deal more of humility. When you suddenly realize that God, even in his revelation, is more than we can understand, and we have to admit we cannot control him, own him, or put him down things get interesting. By the way, Paul views this mystery as amazing, praise-inspiring, wondering, exhilarating. And see, this is the dividing point. See, if you find God's mystery confusing, frustrating, and angering, you'll end up not worshiping. If you know he is good and loving and kind, then it becomes wonderful and exhilarating in a pool you get to keep exploring. Romans eleven thirty three. Oh, the depths of the riches of the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unreachable his judgments, his paths beyond tracing out. So here's how we're going to begin this series. You're like, that was the beginning? Yeah, that was the beginning. Number one, the revelation of God brings us to the point of humility. I'd like you all to repeat something with me. If you're a guest this morning, don't worry, we're not a cult. We're not going to do anything, but just do this. I would like us to say these words, I am not God. No, no, no stop, stop, wait, very good, thank you. No, really. <laughs> Ever since the beginning, we have fought God on this. What did Satan say to Adam and Eve? Oh, you should be God. What did we do at Babel? Let's build a tower and pierce the heavens because we have the right to make decisions. See, by declaring I am not God and I do not fully understand, it is actually affirming our humanness. That, that he is creator and I am created. He is infinite and I am finite. I am gone, I'm born today and gone tomorrow. He never goes away. I change all the time with the shadows. He never changes. It's in this moment of great freedom when we humble ourselves before God and say he deserves worship because he is creator and I am not, that actually great freedom is found. Could we say it together? One, two, three. I am not right. Here's the second thing. We are called to confess God right. 
We as Christians, what, is the, what did Jesus say? What is the summary of the whole Old Testament? To love the Lord God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. Love your neighbor as yourself. How can you love God right with your mind unless you comprehend him as he has revealed himself? We must confess him as triune. We must worship him right. Not legalistically, oh, I didn't get the order right. No, 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 but worship him. Do you know one of the great scary things in this church? Lots of you love Jesus. Lots of you don't like the Father. That's unacceptable. What did Jesus do? He came to reveal who? Himself? The Father. Who did, what, is the Holy, what is the name of the Holy Spirit in Scriptures? He's called the Spirit of Christ. He's come to reveal Jesus. See, here's what we've got to work out. Starting today in the next two weeks, some of you've got data issues, and because of that, you don't like God the Father. Well, let me tell you, by the end of this series, I'm going to ask God to heal you of that so you encounter God fully. Some of you are afraid of the Holy Spirit. You don't need to be afraid of the Holy Spirit. He is awesome. But when you encounter him, guess what? I don't care if you fall over, speak in tongues, you will look like Jesus if you meet him. If you encounter Jesus, you'll be taken to the Father. We have to be, listen, God is not a piecemeal package that we get to pick the personality we like. He's a whole package deal. We encounter him or nothing. So in this church, we have to confess him right. We sing a lot about Jesus in this church. And trust me, I love singing about Jesus, but he's only part of the conversation. Jesus takes us to the Father. The Spirit takes us to Jesus. They together, one God, are wholly praised. Amen, amen, amen. So some of you here today need to repent. Because actually, you've realized that you believe heresy. You're a modalist. You said, oh, no, God's not a trinity. He's different modes. You need to literally say to God today, I repent for believing falseness. Others, you're like, oh, I just never got it. That's okay. We don't all have to know. It's just say, Lord, help me to know you in your fullness. Why? Just so we all think right? No, because understand, as we're about to see, when you know who God is in his revealed fullness you're going to encounter something. Everyone ready? It's called love. Because God is love because he's in community. You'll never get God's love. You'll never experience God's love in its depths without encountering God in a triune way. The revelation of the Trinity not only shows us who he is, the revelation of the Trinity shows how much he loves us because God didn't decide to keep his love to himself. He came after us. See, we've got this painting in one of our offices that I work in. I walk by it every day and it's written right on this. It is not enough to believe in a creed only. Faith must go beyond creeds to the living, powerful God. So let me end this first week on the Trinity this way with that amazing blessing that Paul wrote 2 Corinthians 13, 14, may the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God, that's the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. Can I just sit on that for a moment? The grace of Jesus, the sheer mercy of Jesus, the forgiveness of Jesus, Jesus taking our place, Jesus dealing with our holiness issues. See, Jesus didn't get browbeated by his dad in some eternity past. You have to go save those people that we don't really like. Are you joking me? Jesus came And the Father sent him because he loves us. We know who God is and we have his name because he's personal through Jesus. You know, I was struck not only by the grace of Jesus this week, I was struck by God the Father. As I continually read all the passages about God the Father, almost every single time the Father is mentioned, the word love is paired with him. You want to know God is love? 
you must encounter the Father. He is the fountainhead of love. He is, he is the heart and the intention within the Trinity of love. Like, it matters. And I love the sweet fellowship of the Holy Spirit. That we have the presence of God even in our brokenness. And, and the Holy Spirit brings us together with the Father and the Son. Though we never are the Trinity, we are brought into the love relationship He has within Himself. And then we are brought with each other also. You say, John, what's the take home this week? I said, well, it's not going to be as practical as some of you want it to be. It's simply this. I'm going to pray right now across all our sites for a fresh work of God where God would reveal himself to us in such a way that we would never be the same. And it starts with understanding God in his fullness. By the way, this will touch your marriage if you're married. This is going to touch how you worship, how you sing, how you give, why you come to church, even what you do as we work this out. So could I ask you, please, if you wouldn't mind to open your hands to God, if you're comfortable with that, as a symbol of being openness, just being open. And let's just take a moment. Number one, thank you that, God, you are a revealed mystery, not a hidden mystery. Thank you that you're our creator and thank you, God, that you are not evil or wicked. You're holy and you're love at the same time. Thank you that we can trust you. Thank you that you are Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Some of us today need to say, Lord Jesus, forgive us for teaching, believing, or promoting, really, heresy, false views of you. I repent. Others of us are like, wow, God, there's parts of you I'm afraid of, I'm concerned about, I don't get. And this is what you need to do. He's not angry at you. You just need to say to him, God... You have to fix broken parts of me so I can get you. Because I, there's just, I can't. And he'll do that. All of us at this moment need to be unbelievably thankful for the Father and his love and, and the Son and his grace and the Spirit and his fellowship. Thank you, God, that you're one in three and we openly confess this. And now here's the prayer. Father and Son, by the Holy Spirit, here's my request among my brothers and sisters. Pour out the Holy Spirit to reveal God in his fullness in a way our church has never experienced in its whole history. To seekers and skeptics, reveal yourself and change them forever. For we who've walked with you for months, days, or years, encounter us in a way that actually I can't preach and goes beyond just intellectualism, but do encounter. Begin to show us why Trinity is directly connected to love. Come do this work among us, we ask. Thank you, God, that you call us. Thank you, Son, you die for us. Pray for us. Sustain us at this moment. Thank you, Holy Spirit, you never abandon us or leave us, and you assure us of resurrection. And we all said together, amen. Thanks for joining us. To connect to the ministries of C4, visit c4church.com.